I like it. Man, your voice is unbelievable. Oh man, you're too you're too kind. No, it's really great. Mm. So here with Les Lederman. So here's the question: You okay. got you got young kids. I do. Uh, how old are your kids? Say uh, seven, seven, five. Actually, eight, five. Oh, so I was right when I said eight. You were. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Your children. <laughs> well, Gosh. you have uh, you. Well, Pierce is one. Yeah, eight, so, five, and one. So when you have a one-year-old, things get a little zero. It's just a little, a little crazy. Here's the question: Have you, have you ever given them a stern warning about oh, yeah. something dangerous? Oh sure. Yeah, can, give me an example. Um, well, Danielle's, uh, my wife's parents have a swimming pool in the backyard, mm. and and so the kids love running around with their cousins and playing around near it, and so. We've had to, on several occasions, give them stern warnings of get away from the pool. Stop running away. Stop running towards the pool, near the pool. Don't look at the pool. Any of those. Any of those <laughs> don't even look at don't the pool. Even, don't, don't even. E- don't even make eye contact with the water. You hear me? That pools exist. We don't even believe in them. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and did it work? It, it did. It did. Was I that, mean, was that because something happened? Were you afraid of them falling in, or I think there's just this just in general underlying yeah, fear. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I did have one of uh, a nephew um, years ago uh, was just kind of wandering by a pool at the other aunt and uncle's house, and he accidentally fell in. And luckily, I was right next to the edge of the pool as soon as he did because no one else really realized. And he was too young to really be able to swim. So I just reached in and grabbed him. And, right. you know, adrenaline's pumping. So I think that also kind of added Did you to have the, to dive in? Uh, I did jump in, yes. Did, I. Uh, so you Baywatched it. Uh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. But I had all my clothes on, had my, <laughs> my phone in my pocket. but Because you, uh, you got to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Has anyone ever yelled or said a stern warning to you? Oh, sure. I remember this moment. I was on a youth trip building Mm -hmm. houses in Navajo Nation. I had like 110 kids. Mm. So what we're doing is like we're roofing, right? Mm -hmm. And so my job, because it's a bunch of high school kids, my job was to take the 80-pound bags of shingles and and put the... (laughs) Hoof them up the ladder onto the, I mean, it was so, they're so heavy and I did that all day. Mm -hmm. So I'm moving the ladder, a big 12, 12 foot ladder, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody's like, Dave, stop. And I'm like, stop, right? And I look up and there's a power line about four feet away from where I'm heading. And I'm I'm not, I don't even pay attention. I think about that about once every month. Oh man. And they just, that could have been the end. Could have been. Yep. Could have been. I mean, I don't know. I'm not an electrician. I don't know sure. about insulation. It seems like an aluminum wire. I don't know. Yeah. Aluminum ladder and a wire. Anyway, has anyone ever yelled a warning to you? Like a, like a stern warning? Sure. Um, I don't know if in a life-saving way. I distinctly remember when I was a kid, I was coming home from a camping trip with uh, this other family, they brought me along, and I was, uh, and they decided, hey, let's stop by the beach on the way home. It was come, we're coming back from uh, Big Sur, I believe, and they were just, you know, wanted us to stop by. How old are you here? Like eight, ten? Uh, I'm probably about six or seven. Oh, yo, so I was young, young less. I was young, young less. Yeah, all right. But um, I remember the dad uh, distinctly telling me and his son who were about the same age, um, don't go near the water. 
um, you know, the waves are getting big. And so don't go near the water. I don't want you guys getting wet. And so we're, you know, we're having fun playing around the beach, of course. And then, you know, we're just throwing rocks into the, the water. And all of a sudden, this giant wave just comes and just knocks me and my friend both down. And we are drenched, completely drenched in water. And I remember looking back at, immediately looking back at my, my friend's dad. And he was turning like, it was this moment of either, you know, probably this mixture of, I hope you're okay, but if you're okay, I might strangle you. (laughs) (laughs) I distinctly told you not to get Uh, near the water. That's great. Well, we're here talking about kind of near the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus enters into warning zone. Mm -hmm. And I just want to just remind everyone, warnings are different than threats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Threats are for power. Warning are done for love. So anyway, (laughs) so let's, uh, let's dive right in. And I'm glad you're not. I, I'm glad you didn't drown. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't drown. <laughs> Me too. I, it Me feels too. like there might be a, a common theme in the phobia of water. Right. So, yeah. You I, know. I, I think yeah. I need to go to therapy for that. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hydrophobia. Yeah. All right. Well, we're here with Jake Kim. We're going to talk about the warnings in Matthew seven and why Jesus gives them. And uh, with that, let's just dive right in. Sure we're recording. <laughs> hey, if we had a corporate sponsor, who would you wish that our corporate sponsor were on the afterward? Nike. Why? Just because we awesome, get free swag? Man. Yeah, man. Like sponsored, you know, LeBron, MJ. Sure. Jordan brand. You're wearing a Nike sweatshirt right now. Yeah, it'd be awesome. M- Nike shoes do not fit my wide feet. Oh, they don't. I can't wear them. Oh, bummer. Well, that's how okay. did Shaq wear Nikes? His feet are giant. No, he wore Reebok. He was Reebok. Shaq was Reebok. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay, how does a giant, how does LeBron, I'm sure his feet are well, giant. Well, you got to customize. Yeah. Can whole... I get some of those? Yeah, if they were our sponsors, you could. <laughs> this podcast sponsored by Nike. Just do it. Uh, okay. Uh, well, welcome. Yeah, hi. Uh, man, so here here's a question. Um, this, this, <laughs> this week's message and next week's message are a little bit of downers. Yeah, on the surface, it's a little I, intense. It's, it, yes, because you would expect. So we're we've now finished. How many weeks did we spend on the Sermon on the Mount? I think it was like eleven. It's a, yeah. Uh, Steve counted. I think he said it was like thirteen or something. Yeah. So we are we've we've gone through this. Some of the information, some of Jesus's teachings, incredibly inspiring. Yeah. Some of it incredibly comforting. Mm-hmm. Reframing who God is, the beauty of His Father. Yeah. Some of it really difficult, and yeah. you would expect a little rah rah. You would expect right. to end a sermon is like this the big, emotional, inspiring. I'm thinking of like yeah. the one of the most, you know, one of the seminal speeches of our lifetime. Martin Luther King at the yeah. end, free yes. at last, oh, yes. free at last. Thank yeah. God, you know something. Yeah. the crowd the roars. Yes, from, yeah. right. That's not what happens here. No, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, uh, it's not. It's 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 actually sobering. Yes. And um, in the end of Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, it's like a plead. It's a warning. Enter yeah. through the narrow gate. Yeah. And then he says this, wide is, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter into it. Yeah. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few are going to find it, which means the people that follow Jesus 
are going to be a minority in the world. Yeah. Oh, what? Right. What's going on? So how do you unpack that? Because that there's a lot going on in that. But like before we go any further, that feels like such a yeah. It's such a stern, sobering. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons. Um, there's probably some technical reasons that that in rabbinic tradition, you know, the way of teaching and sort of the structure of teaching is actually not the way we think of it today. Like we, we think more along the lines of like Ted talks, you know, or (laughs) inspiring, you know, motivational speeches. And that's where we get the whole concept. Okay. It's got to end on an up note. Yeah. You know, um, we, we sort of think musically and, and that's a beautiful thing actually, but you know, like the big sort of crescendo at the end. It's like, oh, man, we got to get to that moment. So technically, I think some of this isn't necessarily all that out of line with rabbinic tradition. The, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis weren't necessarily, they didn't think about teaching that way. They they like to live in the sort of 30,000-foot view, high level at certain points, but then they were also very interested in getting nuts and bolts, and then... Um, well, I have some examples here, like of the prophetic tradition. Yeah. Um, like in Malachi, he makes a list of things God loves and things God hates. Yeah. Like Deuteronomy uh, 11, Moses is talking about the blessings and the cursings. It's yeah. binary. Yeah. In First Kings, the list of rewards versus the list of punishments in First Kings 9. And even Paul, who kind of plays a prophetic role in Romans, says yeah. you can be a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. It's a binary choice. Yes. And the binariness is meant to. It's very common. It's very, very common. It's very common in the prophetic tradition tradition, because and rabbinic tradition, one true God, every other God, right? So there's a sense in which Jesus is playing the role of a prophet. Yes, kind of. And 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 more importantly than the technicality and the sort of cultural context, I think really it's because Jesus is less interested, and we talked about this on Sunday. He's less interested in offering us comfort or or inspiration. He's really interested in making certain that we have a clear, sober understanding of the path that leads to life and that we walk that path, you know? So he's trying to give us a gut punch rather than sort of like lift our spirits. Right, know? right. Because this is serious business. It's well, life and death. Right, right, right. Um, John Stott, and I think you use this quote. Um, mm-hmm. Did you use this? I, I forget. John Stott, the theolog- theologian in his, mm-hmm. uh, he had a, a book called The Message on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Jesus will not allow us yes. the comfortable solutions we propose. Yeah. Instead, he insists that ultimately there's only one choice. Yep. And Craig Keener in his IVP New Testament commentary says, Jesus intends his words to jar us from complacency. So yes. there's a real prophetic edge here. Yeah. And I, Jesus does this out of love. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. That's the motivation. Well, he wants people to be saved. Yeah. You know, and that's the word that's sort of not popular these days. Yeah. Because it, you know it infers that you need saving. It says you, you the not. road, what's it lead? Where's yeah, it lead to yeah. destruction? Yep. And that word is uh, John the Baptist used it earlier in yeah. Matthew. <laughs> well, it's hard to deny if you just read the Bible, there's sure. a path that leads to destruction. We right. don't like that. You know, we like uh Pixar movies that all end happy, you yeah. know, and everyone sort of, but yeah, it's, you know, biblically speaking, Jesus wants us to walk the right path that leads to life. What do you think about the idea that this is going to be a minority, a minority position that humans hold? That's been my experience, but I've, I live in the Bay area. Yeah. (laughs) That's got to be sobering to a lot of folk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, I don't want to get technical about it. I don't want to get into the like. So is it really just a hundred and forty-four thousand? No, no, no. I'm not. Saying it's not. That. I don't think yeah, that's yeah, what's yeah. happening here. No, no, no. I think Jesus is making the point clear. Like this is going to be hard. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a take up your cross and follow me sort of life. Then, um, okay, so then we're going to transition to the next part. Right after Jesus talks about that narrow gate, he talks about why, at least one reason, why it's going to be difficult. Of course, one of the reasons, as you just said, the things he's just asked, deny your flesh, don't lust, don't have anger, love your enemies, yeah, be a person who is kingdom-focused, um, that's going to require a wholesale transformation. It's going to yeah. require God's help. It's going to, We talked about that last week with prayer. Uh, but then he says, uh, another warning. It's another warning on top of this warning. So the first warning is there's a narrow gate at, uh, and there's a broad gate. Yeah. The broad gate looks good and a lot of people are on it, but it leads to destruction. Yep. And then the second one is, I was trying to think about this. I think this might be the most arresting metaphor Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. Now we talked about the plank mm-hmm. and the speck of sawdust. That's yep. that's in popular culture. That's everywhere. Yeah. But a wolf in sheep's clothing right. has been used for millennia yeah. across literature, across cultures. Right. This idea and and it's such an arresting metaphor. Yeah. So there's a wolf. So he calls himself the shepherd all the time. Yeah. But the idea of a wolf pretending to be a sheep mm-hmm. so that the, and, and, and the, and the wolf of course is a dangerous predator. Yeah. So he infuses this with an element of real tangible danger, like yeah. death danger. Right. And he says that these false prophets, and we talked about this, that the, the word in, in the Greek is pseudo prophetes. Yeah. Pseudo prophets. Yeah. Pseudo prophets, false, fake, false, fake prophets. Fake prophets. Wannabe prophets. But the, the idea of pseudo is that they're not blatant, uh, obvious caricatures. They're ki- because they're, they're covered su- in sheep's clothing. Yeah, they're right. tricky. Like they're they tricky. they actually come across like real prophets, pseudo anything, you know. So um, and he says, "Watch out, ten cuidado, you know, be on the alert." And then um, he's so prophets obviously in Israel's history were super important. Yeah, and false prophets were a big problem. Yeah, and often God would send his prophets to speak against false the false prophets. prophets. Yeah. And it, it and I was trying to think if I had to explain to somebody what was the general tone and message of Israel's false prophets, a lot of it was you kind of don't need to obey God. Yeah, it's a lot of status quo. Yep. How else would you say it? Um, there's a little bit of um, destruction surely won't come. Mm-hmm. You get that with Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, making deals with foreign allegiances. Mm-hmm. Which means foreign it's gods. It's compromise. It's a it's lot comp- of compromise. A ton of compromise. That's good. A number of levels. Yeah. Yeah. Compromise. Their, me- their message is a message of compromise. They don't say that. They don't say, hey, let's compromise. Right. But when you consider it against the backdrop of what God actually said or instructed, yeah, it's compromise. It's a call to compromise for the sake of comfort and ease or whatever else. Right. Yeah. So he says, watch out for false prophets. Now, here's what's weird about this. We're in a church and we're telling people, watch out for false prophets. Right, right. Well, I'm, we're assuming that if you're at this church and, and if you're a part of our community, that we, we are all on the lookout for false prophets. And so it's a it's a little weird. And we're not trying to bash, like... Yeah, other, <laughs> other churches, churches or people. Yeah, it's... Yeah. And and we're, we're speaking from the assumption that here at Westgate, we're doing our best to not preach heresy, <laughs> and, you know? Right. Um, that we're... we're 
you know, sometimes we're wrong about stuff, but there's sure. no intentional sort of, you know, misleading. We're not, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing kind of thing. Um, but yeah, without getting, you know, like accusatory and stuff, the reality is there are false prophets in the world. Right. And in sort of Christendom. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. And, and so what we did is we kind of looked at three ideas yeah. that are like dangerous wolves that roam around our particular Bay Area. Yeah. And, and they're not the only ones. They're not they're the only ones, ones that are very yeah. prominent, seem very prominent yeah. in our experience. Which is, that's a good point. They're not the only ones. I wonder, uh, dear listener, if you would have others that you yeah. would put out there. Yeah. Um, but we talked about three. I want to go through them. And we actually tried to tag them in ways that were sticky. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Chipotle faith, Tinder faith, Netflix faith. Yeah. And the idea is that these are ideas that we're all kind of susceptible to. And I, I think that most people, when they hear these three, there's probably going to be one they're a little bit more susceptible to. Right. Uh, there was one definitely for sure that, like, I was like, oh, i got to be careful of that. Mm. Um, so the first one was what we call Chipotle faith, this this idea. Um, and the, the Chipotle faith, this the the mantra of Chipotle faith is kind of, I can mix and match my faith. Yeah. Um, it's like Chipotle. I, I want extra. I, what kind of meat do you want? Yeah, well, I want little, double meat. Yeah. yeah, a little chicken, a yeah. little guacamole. But the next guy is going to get a little I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the queso. Have you well, tried Chipotle's queso? No, is it awesome? It's unbelievable. Oh, really? It's so good. Uh. I can't eat it now. I, I just It's unbelievable. It's so good. Okay. It's so, anyway, um, if you're out there and you love the white cheddar queso <laughs> and you just like dipping your chips this in This episode it, brought to you by Chipotle. Chipotle. <laughs> Seriously, Chipotle, if you're listening, will you please sponsor us? Because that would be amazing. Okay, so Chipotle faith is, and, and this is, many people say this is actually kind of the dominant religious idea in yeah. the Bay Area. Because it has to do with pluralism. Yes. Pluralism is when there's a lot of different people who believe a lot of different stuff. The temptation is to just make everyone get along yeah. and just mix everything together. and it will Don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, we'll all get together and it'll be great. So it's syncretism or yeah. synchronistic, which yeah. means a barring a little bit here, a little bit here. Yeah. Um, you used the word, I thought it was interesting. Actually, this is, we got to talk about where these ideas come from. Glenn Packham's book, yes. The Resilient Pastor, yeah. um, which you read. I, you said you got to read this. Mm -hmm. I read it. Mm -hmm. it, it hit, there's, there's some ideas in here that we're borrowing from him. He says that um, it's imperialistic. Yeah. Which means it just, uh, and I hear this all the time. People will say, you know, I'm, I think I'm a little bit Hindu. Have, have you ever read anything about right. the sacred teachings of Hinduism? Right. No, but I think it's like, well, come on. A religion, right. religions deserve to be understood and their sacred texts deserve to be taken seriously enough yeah. to at least read them. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, you yeah. just can't say you're Hindu and borrow that. That's yeah. super weird. Yeah. But it's also only interior, so there's no public square because it can't be. Yeah, I make it up. It's my Chipotle bowl. It's, it's my whatever I want. I don't in share there. it. Yeah. yeah, I don't share it. Yeah. Um. How does this? How How do you think this works in 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 practice? Have you seen this work in practice? Oh my gosh! I talk to people all the time. What's really insidious about it is it's not just kind of the caricature of the Silicon Silicon Valley. Uh, a secular person who's just like going to yoga 12 times a week and into super new agey stuff. It's, it's, it's certainly that person is this um, Chipotle faith, but it's, it's a lot of like, it's a lot of Christians, I think, you know, in some really dangerous and, and insidiously subtle ways. This happens a lot, you know? Um, uh, and I think a big part of it is the, 
we don't want to offend. Yeah. Um, we certainly don't want to offend one another, but we also don't want to be offended. And not only do we not want to be offended by people, we kind of don't want, we don't have margin to be offended by ideas. So if there is something in Christianity that feels on the outset offensive, it's like, ah, well, I believe this part of it, but this not so much. That can't be right. I really love what new age spirituality has to say about that, you know, like, or when it comes to, for example, it's like, maybe it's something along the lines of, you know, Jesus's teachings about loving my enemies. Yeah, I'm all for it, you know, and I think a part of what that means is, you know, my sexual ethic, um, it doesn't really line up with some of the stuff that the Bible says or whatever. So, you know, I think loving my enemies means I'm going to hold this other sort of sexual ethic of human sexuality. And that's a, that's, you know, that's syncretistic. It's like yeah. pulling and, and now, now, you know, the sex, the sexual ethic conversation is, is nuanced and there's a, it's complex and people have different readings of it and stuff. But, you know, I see that kind of stuff a lot where the reasoning behind it is this just doesn't work for me. This part of it doesn't work for me. Yeah. So I'm going to, but the reality is not just Christianity, but all religions, all rich, robust, long-standing traditions. That's not for most, not maybe not all, but most of them, that's not how they work. Yeah. Like for you said, Hinduism, like Hinduism doesn't give you that option. Like, oh, just take a little here, a little there, and then everything, like do, make what you want. That's not how it works. Yeah. It's like complete allegiance, you know, and, and essentially like, you know, giving yourself over to a bigger story, you know, a bigger sort of reality. And it it kind of comes down to a lot of people say something like uh, all lo- all roads, all religions pretty much say the same thing. Yeah, they all lead to they God. They all lead to God. Yeah. It's just different a different path yeah. up which is um it just seems like completely false even if you do even basic research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. but even more than that, there's um there's a guy named Gene Edward Veith who wrote a book called Post Christian, A Guide mm. to Contemporary Thought and Culture, and he had this quote that I really loved. He's he was talking about 9/11. And he said in 9-11, if he, he said it was interesting because he said if you would have asked people in the 60s, mm. what's the biggest threat to world peace? They would have said like thermonuclear war because of political ideology, mm. communism, yeah. democracy, that kind of stuff, right? Because yeah. there was like literally the Cuban mu- Missile Crisis and people were ter- – he's like if you ask people now what's the biggest threat to peace in the world, they might say uh, religion mm. because yep. – 9-11, he said this. He said, before 9-11, all religions in elite opinions were considered to be equally good. Mm. Afterward, all religions were considered to be equally bad. Mm. He said that the dominant ethic is you must accept all these deities and religious traditions, but you are not allowed to believe in one of them only. Yeah. And so it really, it can't produce exclusivity. Mm-hmm. I, I think about a woman, um, she came to one of our intro classes. And she was really struggling. And she's like, I have real problems. I don't know if I fit here. I go, mm. well, tell me, tell me what you mean. She's like, I work with people of all sorts of different um, faiths. She works at like a doctor's office. Gotcha. All sorts of different faiths. And she's like, you're telling me I have to tell them they're wrong? Mm. I'm not yeah. going to do that. Right. That that's If that's what you believe, then I'm out. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not telling you you have to go around saying that. But what she was, I think, bucking against was the idea of exclusivity. Mm-hmm. That there's one... Like Jesus is like I'm 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 God on yeah, yeah. the way to life right and that that that's such a violation of some pluralistic values in the Bay Area that that can be hard. Yeah, yeah. This doesn't mean you go around being a jerk. No one's saying that, but. right? 
Any final words on Chipotle faith? How do you no. get out of it? Oh gosh, well I, I'm I'm not prone to giving a lot of how tos necessarily, but um, well, one of the things you said humility, it's, it's community. Not, it, yeah. It's not historic orthodoxy, so clinging to historic orthodoxy. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. So, so there's something about yep. making yeah, a decision humil- for yeah. yourself. Yeah, I think humility is yeah. a big key. Yep. Because I think in general you have to make a decision for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, next one was tender faith. I live in the real world. I do what benefits me most right now. I do what feels good right now. Transactional, therapeutic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We see this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. People want to feel good. You know, Christian Smith has written about a lot of people are familiar a lot about Christianity as, you know, moralistic, therapeutic deism. We just want a God who makes us feel good, makes our life work, makes us more comfortable. Yeah. But again, it's like I feel like I'm a broken record or something. The invitation is take up your cross and follow me. Bonhoeffer says when Christ bids a man, he comes and he bids him come and die. You know, right? And that's not really fun to hear because uh, it doesn't necessarily feel good on the near side of the journey. But yeah. what it does is it leads to life on the far side. You can't have resurrection without death. So if you don't die to yourself, um, you'll never experience. Well, we see this, I see, I hear this a lot in like podcasts. People say like, it's kind of the God within heresy. It's this idea. If I want it, God must want me to have it. Yeah. I mean, come on. Right. You have to listen to the God within. Yeah. Well, it's been taken to its extreme now. I was watching uh, like a YouTube video about some cult, some, uh, you know, like modern contemporary cult. They had some video clips and you see this in, in sort of modern context all the time. And this cult actually originated here in Silicon Valley. So it's not like in back roads, whatever. And there's a video clip of the founder saying, so you go on this journey and you discover X, Y, and Z. And then what you discover on the far side of it is like, you are God. Sure. You know, like that's the line. And, uh, Maybe those of us who've been going to church for a long time would never dare say those words. But if you look at your life functionally and the way you think about what this great deity, this great big guy in the sky, you know, is supposed to do for you. it almost, if you really think about it, it's like, I am God sort of mentality. Like I am the God of my own little world, you know? And I think that's what tender faith is like. It's like swiping right on the things you like and swiping left on the things you don't. Is that the direction? I don't know, dude. I'm going to be honest. I'm not on Tinder. Those of you listening who are. (laughs) This episode sponsored by Tinder. Tinder. (laughs) That's right. Amazon for sex. (laughs) It's, oh man. Oh man, that's dark. It's it's pretty dark. Um, But the idea, I think the idea here is that uh, the voice of God in all through the voice, the counsel of scripture is that the voice of God is not you. It's, yeah. uh, it's other. Yeah. It's outside humans. Yeah. There is a God. There is it's, a God. And it's not you. It's not you. That's the concept. And his yeah. voice is other. Yeah. His voice is out. And it, and it has, so this can't produce self-control and it can't mm-hmm. produce obedience. Yeah. Because you're just going to do whatever you want. So yeah. there's no submission of your desires, your yeah. submission of your life yeah. to anybody, especially. It also Jesus. can't produce faith. It can't produce um, uh, faith in the sense that. Or you're saying transcendent. There's nothing transcendent yeah, transcendent about it. Transcendent yeah. sort of faith. The, there's nothing the, above you. Yeah. No, no givens, no rules. Yeah. It's just you. You're yeah. the final authority. Yep. There's nothing above the self in right. the entire universe. Yeah. Except what I want. Right. And it that just, it breaks down so quick. Yeah. It's awful. Okay, yeah. lastly, Netflix faith. 
It's my life. Nobody tells me what to do. Yeah. Sit on uh, my couch, have my cue, watch what I want when I want. Okay, so we're yeah. going to get into this because this, this, okay. This I'm, episode brought to you by Netflix. Watch the new show. Stranger yeah, Things 4. <laughs> where teenagers get snapped in half. It's really gross, but oh it's gosh, unbelievable. Is that really what happens well, it's, in the show now? It's, it's pretty scary. Jeez, man. So, I only watch episodes. Here's, uh, here's the thing. One. I'm going to, I loved season four, but it, it okay. there was a couple moments when Justice and I were watching it and we're like, this is like rated R Freddy Krueger scary. Oh my gosh. We're going to, it like, cause it's, it started off like Goonies mm-hmm. and then it kind of got more intense. And well, more in- season one was great. And then I just stopped right. watching. Well, it's it pretty reason. intense though. It's, yeah. I mean, it's pretty scary. Yeah, but it was good. Yes. It but felt the, very Spielberg had, 80s yes. kind of. But it, this turned, it's a little more, in fact, the, the guy who played Freddy Krueger plays the villain in, oh my gosh, it's like really? literally the same. Holy smokes. Yeah. So anyway, it's intense, but the point is, let's get yeah. back to this. Okay. okay. Netflix faith. I'm going to be, I'm. All my cards on the table, this is the one I'm most prone to. Yeah. Just me. And this has to do with the exaltation of... So this is about, I'd like my own things. Thank you very much. Yeah. This, I'm going to craft my own life. What feels yeah. good to me. Um, nobody should tell me yeah. what to do. I, I don't want to be to be controlled by anything or anyone. Or yeah. So this is the exaltation of self. Yeah. The elimination of threats, especially people who believe a lot differently than yeah. you. And the... And so let's let's go to those two first. Because the exaltation of self, one of the ways I see the exaltation of self is, interestingly enough, increasingly through political identification. Yeah. I sure. have a certain view of the way the world should work, and it's the only way that's right, and I want everyone to endorse that or know that that's the way. Mm-hmm. And so the exaltation of self has become, that politics has become a new religion. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's why we just had midterms this past yep. week, and a lot of a lot of people lost their minds. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people. Well, how would you how would you talk about politics as is the exaltation of self in, in the modern? Well, world? I think it's the exaltation of self and the elimination of threats. Oh, so, explain. Well, you know, a person, a particular person, gets elected. A particular party takes control of the house or the senate or whatever, or a particular pos- policy passes or doesn't pass and gets enacted into law or doesn't, whatever. And the and I'm not saying we shouldn't have a reaction. I mean, it's it's a good as followers of Jesus. I think cultural engagement in a in a responsible, and kind and loving and very Christ-centered, gospel-centered way, is a big part of that of, of following Jesus and, and taking our sort of civic responsibility seriously. And yeah, all those things. So that's good. But when you see what I would consider the overreaction of many, or maybe a better way to put it would be like you know, misreaction or even like deformed reaction. Yeah, that's good. And I mean that intentionally, like you've been formed into something God never intended and it shows in the way you react React to politics, like almost as if, Oh, that's it. It's over. Or, Oh, like now it's it. Utopia. Everything's good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, You know, Um, I think you see that because it's a means of, yeah. Like you said, we have these ideas that work for us. And um, when those ideas are not enacted into public policy or embodied by particular candidates, every then it's all a threat, you know. We we and our desire is to eliminate threat. There cannot be any threat to my, not just like my safety, you know, because that's yeah. a that's a that's a good thing, but it's like there cannot be any threat to my ideas or my opinions. That's kind of the age we're in now. Yeah. And I think that's just so utterly dangerous because in some ways it's actually, it's actually that, that whole ideology is constructed on the false belief that we live in an utterly safe 
world. Which we don't. We don't. Yeah. I mean, if you if the biblical story is the primary narrative by which you understand life in the world, then what that story tells you is you are safe in Christ, but the world is broken. And thank God it will not stay that way. Yeah. You know, but yeah. we, we live in such a way where it's like if the world policies and politics and whatever isn't constructed in a way where I feel good and it works for me, then I'm in danger. And it, it betrays the reality for followers of Jesus. Like, no, you live in a dangerous reality because it's fallen and broken and sinful, but you are safe in Christ. Your security is in him. Yeah. But So what are we depending on to save us? Is it the political system or is it God himself? Yeah, and it goes way beyond politics. Sure. Too. It's like sure. all sorts of things. Well, here's the thing. Here's how I feel about it. Even us talking about it at length like yeah. this. Is it weird? Is No, it's not weird. It is... It's driven by this whole concept. Yes, yes. Like that, you know what I mean? I do. Um, for me, and I We're think- We're spending so much time on this it's because way it's way outside an, the boundaries of- I don't think it's just politics. I think it's yeah. like, I think Netflix faith works itself out in ways that are so small sometimes. Like how we spend our time, our energy, our money, our thought life. Yeah. You know, it's like we, 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 we are constructing worlds that we think will keep us insulated and safe. Yeah. And it betrays the biblical narrative. No, your con your suffering security is, is in yeah. Christ. Yeah. And him alone. And that makes it okay that that the world is not the way it should be because someday it will be, you know, when Christ returns. The final thing that Jesus says is he uses the word fruit like six times in this passage. You'll yeah. know them by their fruit. Look for good fruit. And then he says at the end, um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father. He talks about the will of my father. Um, so, like, let's talk about that, because that seems to be the key part of this this message mm -hmm. in both what he's inviting us to, the binary road, mm -hmm. and also how to distinguish between good good prophets and bad prophets, true prophets and false prophets, mm -hmm. those who do the will of his father. Like, um, talk a little bit about that and then. As kind of a, a way to conclude. Yeah, I mean, the will of my father, that's a phrase Jesus uses throughout the Gospel of Matthew specifically as a shorthand way of describing his own teachings. So it actually means um, the one who will enter the kingdom of heaven is the one who does my teachings. That's what Jesus is saying. This is why at Westgate we talk about being a community that is trying our best to learn and live the way of Jesus. They're synonymous. The will of God is the way expressed of in the way yeah. of Jesus. Yeah, and, he's the uh, way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. Right? yeah, so in some ways it's really, it's very hard to do, but the, but the invitation is simple. It's like learn and live the way of Jesus. That is the path toward life and life in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Life eternal, you know, life to the full here and right. now and forever. So in some ways, the path isn't a path. Yeah, it's a way. It's a person. It's a person. It's yeah. Jesus. And yeah. Jesus says so himself. Yeah, yeah, he know, says I yeah. am the yeah. way, yeah. the truth, and the life. Yep. Oh, oh, man. Well, a lot in there. Yeah. A lot in there. A lot to consider. A lot to talk about. Um, and again, maybe the listeners out there can identify one of the ones that they kind of yeah. tend to. Because I think that these ideas are all, they need to be resisted. Yes. Um, yeah. And the way of Jesus actually actively resists them. So, right. All right. Well, thank you uh, yeah, for thank being you. with us. And again, next week, our corporate sponsor, 
is going to be catering this. At Chipotle. Yeah. It's Queso a, sauce. We're going to be talking about the Firm Foundation. So it's it's going to be the Home Depot. The Home Depot is going to be sponsoring us. And Lowe's. Home Depot and Lowe's. Both, both. together. It, it's and gonna, Orchard Supply. Yeah. Rest in peace, Orchard Supply. <laughs> I think they went out of business. They might they? have. That's sad. Well, yeah. So. Uh, anyway, we're going to be like uh, NASCAR cars. We're just going to have a whole bunch of patches all over us. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about how Jesus removes the sin of the world, sponsored by Tide. <laughs> get your laundry clean, and Jesus, get your soul clean. Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing <laughs> if we could get to that level. Oh, man. All right. Well, thanks, Jay, for stopping by. Yeah, thanks. And we'll talk to you soon. See you guys. Bye. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim and Les Lederman for joining me on this week's podcast. Join us next week when we're going to be talking about, uh, again, another warning. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with a really powerful illustration about building and about foundation. So we'll talk about that, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>